five. And to walk past those great stadia, the London Olympic venue, Celtic Park in Glasgow, Hampden Park, and to hear the roar of the crowds, even as you stand there motionless, your heart begins to beat faster. The excitement is incredible. I can remember when Mo Farah won that uh, 5,000 metres. I was in the shopping centre right next to the Olympic Stadium. And they had the big screens up in the shopping centre and nobody was doing any shopping. They were all huddled around those screens and as soon as Mo got over the line and began to do the M sign, right along this huge central atrium in that shopping centre, everybody began to go like this as they screamed their heads off. It was phenomenal. And it's the kind of stuff the schoolboy dreams are made of. We, we, we go to our school sports days and in our time we kind of imagine what it must be like to be an athlete winning a race. Now, I went to loads of school sports days and I was a dad. I failed dismally apart from one occasion when I did win something and it was a three-legged race. Now, it was ironic not least because my partner, and you can see what I looked like, my partner's nickname was Medicine Ball and it was because that was his shape. He was half my size, four times my weight and such an awkward looking guy as I was but I was more kind of gangly awkward. We could not possibly have been paired together but we were because we're the two duds. Nobody wanted to be our partner. And by some incredible quirk of fate, we won the race. And it was the only athletics prize I have ever got in my life. Because when it comes to athletics, I was, I was fairly useless. But to cross over that line with medicine ball, in that school sports day, the, the sheer joy, the elation I felt was, was just incredible. And I just imagined in my mind, Commonwealth Games, Glasgow, Olympics, London. What, 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 what must it be like? Now, when Paul comes to write this particular passage in Philippians 3, that's the image he has in mind. Now, we often think that sports is a kind of a modern-day phenomenon, and sports fanaticism, well, the Toon Army invented it. Not so. In Paul's day, people were literally sports daft. You go to any ancient museum... Yesterday my wife and I were uh, taking a day off and we were in the National Museum of Scotland and you see some of these sculptors of Greek athletes. They were deadly serious. And probably the games that, that, that Paul was referring to or had in the back of his mind as he wrote this passage was the Isthmian Games which were, were, were set in, in, in Corinth and attracted athletes not just from Greece itself but from right across the world. And these athletes were not amateurs. Amateurism became part of athletic life because of the British Empire. These were professionals whose whole life was dedicated to being the best. They lived for sport. They worked for sport. And in fact, it was taken so seriously that depending on what village or, or, or empire or kingdom you come from, if you fail to bring back glory, you not only feel shame, you might lose your head as well. Because your king or your regent might chop your head off for not being successful as you go to represent your country or your state or your particular area in these great games. It was a deadly serious business. And with that commitment of athletes in mind, Paul begins to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. But I want you to notice, and that's why I read the, read the previous verses, um, what Paul's real goal in all of this is. Look at verse 10. For he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Now that's a remarkable confession given Paul's previous life. But his real goal, his real aim in life 
is to get to know the person of Jesus. And he, he uses some interesting illustrations here. He talks about experiencing Christ's sufferings. He talks about attaining the resurrection. What's that all about? Well, simply this. When Jesus came into our world, he didn't just live a life of exemplary example to all of us. Showing us what godliness is all about in everyday living. But on that cross, he died for all of human sin. So he could cleanse us and make us different and purge us from all the rottenness that's part and parcel of our lives. And Paul said the real goal of every Christian is to follow Christ in those sufferings. Just as Jesus died for our sins so we could be forgiven, we need to die to our sins. Every wrong thought that we have, every wrong action, all of our false motives, all those things about us that we know are flawed and wrong and we instinctively know that they're sinful, we've got to stop it by God's grace and and, and in His help. After all, if Christ has made us clean, if He's cleansed us, then we need to keep living those clean lives. We have a dog who uh, is very furry. And I take him for a walk every day. Or yesterday we took him up a wee hill not too far from our house. And there was just mud everywhere. Typical Scottish weather. Grimy. Rain hammering down. I'm in my shorts and t-shirt. Getting soaked. And Kelvin is running through the mud. He's, he's, he's bogging. To use an Irish expression. So we came back. I shoved him in the shower. I jumped in with him. We both had a shower. Got cleaned off. And then dogs do what they do. Uh, they need to, uh, well, use the facilities. So I opened the back door to let them out into the garden and guess what? Muddy all over again. All that fur that I had carefully cleansed in the shower was all made muddy all over again by his playing out in the mud in the back garden while he went to the toilet. Now, that absurdity often happens with Christians. They get cleansed by the blood of Jesus, all forgiven, all changed, a fresh start, now living a life for God, and then they begin to sin again. Now, of course, we're fallen people, so sin is almost inevitable. It is inevitable, but, but we have to fight against it. With God's help, by His Holy Spirit, resist that temptation to do wrong. But what happens is we get lazy, and, and, and we give up. Paul said, I want to be like Christ in suffering. I know it's tough to live as a Christian. I know it's tough to live that holy life. But with all of my energy, I want to do so, even if it means suffering for me. Because I want to follow Jesus. And be like him in his resurrection. Well, in the same way that Jesus died, but then rose again in this new life, I want to live this new life of power. Serving him, following him, being a dynamic Christian. Now, how many of you would put your hands up and say, I'm a dynamic Christian? That's what Paul is calling upon all of you to be. And if you're not a dynamic Christian, there's something wrong. And guess what? It's your fault. Not God's. Not the fault of His Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is sent to fill us and to to empower us so we can become dynamic Christians who live this resurrection life. And if we're not living it, it's because we're not not prepared to, to suffer enough or to allow His Holy Spirit to have sufficient control of our lives to enable that dynamism to come through. But the power is there. It's available. If only we yield to it. And utilize it to live for Jesus. And that's as Paul is my ambition. I want to know Christ to become like Him. So my whole life is filled with Him. Now I said a few moments ago that was a, a radical thing for someone like Paul to say because Paul of course had been 
a deeply religious person before he became a Christian. Now, he also confessed to being a, a deep, deep sinner too. And often the two things are inextricably linked. Religion is such a distraction from, from really knowing Christ. That's why I openly say that as a Christian, I, I cannot stand religion. Because all it does is distract from that single-minded purpose of following Jesus. Paul was uh, what was known as a Pharisee. I don't know if you watch the news, but uh, one of the big news items of the past three or four months has been uh, ISIS. You've seen the, the news articles, those, those brutal, evil, wicked men. Actually, they're deeply religious. A despicable theology, which means they will suppress and, and kill anybody who does not fit in with their particular worldview. That was the Apostle Paul before he became a Christian. And that's what he did. He got permission from his superiors to chase Christians up and down the country and have them put in prison and if possible executed because they didn't follow his way of thinking. Now going from that kind of fanaticism where he's utterly committed to the point of killing people, utterly committed to following that particular world that particular religious affiliation, to suddenly changing and following Jesus. What a radical change that was. But did you notice how he described his previous life? He says, and in your version, it may well tone this down a bit. He said, I consider all those things in my past, verse 8, all that previous life of religiousness that I once lived, I consider it garbage that I might gain Christ. Now, I don't know what word your particular version uses, but most of our versions are fairly polite. They don't actually properly translate that word. It's, it's the Greek word skobolon, which is the normal word that you would use for human excrement. If we were to do a kind of a, a literalistic interpretation, I consider all of that stuff to be just crap. Excrement. Everything I once believed in, it's, it's of no value. Why? Because it doesn't change me. I was a religious person whose, whose heart was full of anger and bitterness and vindictiveness and evil. I was capable of any act despite being a religious person because it didn't change me at all. It did nothing to change my heart. But Christ can. He can make the difference. So my sole focus in life has to be Jesus. Getting to know Him. Having a relationship with Him. And following him with, with all of my heart, with all of my energy. And that's what life is about. Now I want to ask you, and I want you to be honest with me. Most of you, I'm sure, are Christians. Is that your actual focus in life, following Jesus? Does everything else, your career, your hobbies, your family, does everything else take second place to that? overwhelming, all-consuming passion following Jesus. Well, if it doesn't, then, like Paul, you haven't yet got there. And he himself confesses that. And actually this kind of um, lackadaisical, half-hearted following of Christ, the telltale sign can be seen everywhere in church life today. Everywhere, including in my church. Sign number one, well, I'll, I'll be at church when it suits me. But all nations is on at the moment. And Ireland, where 
unfortunately beaten yesterday, but we playing Wales yesterday. Had it been on a Sunday? Well, I don't know if I could come to church because I'm watching the rugby. Happens in church after church. Or, or, or you believe the gospel, or say you believe the gospel, but um, I haven't actually told anybody else about Jesus. About how they can have their lives changed. So I, I do believe the gospel up here, but it hasn't really penetrated down to here, and it certainly doesn't radiate out to other people. I just keep it to myself. I don't really share it. Can you be like that? Or you believe it up here, but you wouldn't think of sharing your faith with people at work or, or members of your family or your neighbours. It's just some kind of theoretical idea that you have in your mind. Or, or I have a Bible and uh, well, I enjoy reading it when I get around to reading it, but I just don't spend all that much time studying it. Really allowing it to shape my life and to change my worldview and to make me a different person. I just have it in the shelves. Most of the week gathering dust. And I might give it ten minutes here or there, but that's about as far as it goes. Or uh, faith. Great to have a faith, as long as it doesn't interfere with all the stuff that I really want to get on with in life. Is that how you feel sometimes? Because to be honest, I feel that way too. So like Paul, I have to say, I haven't got there yet. I'm on a journey. I, I want to follow Christ. I want Him to be central in my life. I want Him to be everything, but it's not easy, is it? Not in the world in which we live, with all the pressures that we have. And that's why He challenges us. Think of the athlete, the person who's utterly focused. That's how we need to begin living our Christian lives. And from verse 12, the, the painting of that athlete comes up. Haven't yet attained this, but... But it's where I want to be. You know, the real thing that separates the elite athletes from the rest is, is not so much their levels of muscularity or their height or stature. That, that's not the real difference between elite athletes and the rest. It's their hunger. Those athletes who are really desperate for success who really want to get there. They do. There was a Scotsman uh, a number of years ago who um, became arguably the greatest football manager of all time. And he just happened to be the manager of my team, Liverpool. Sorry about that. I shouldn't be saying that in this part of the world. But Bill Shankly was utterly committed to success. Now, he wasn't an outstanding player. Actually, he was really rather average. And his tactical and managerial skills were okay as well. He wasn't the genius that people thought he was. However, what he was was desperately hungry. And that infectious hunger began not only to eat him up, but he passed it on to his players and they became the most determined and hungry of players anywhere, not just in this country, but in Europe as a whole. On one occasion, uh, somebody uh, was joking with Shanklin. They said, uh, some people say that uh, uh, football is a matter of life and death to, to people like you. And to which he replied, for some people, football is a matter of life and death. And I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I assure you, it's much, much more important than that. Get the hunger? Desperate to be the best. On another occasion, when uh, 
his team are about to face a huge, huge challenge. It was their first title victory, or the eve of their first title victory. And this is what he said to his players. His team talk wasn't long. It was just one sentence. He got them into the changing room. They got changed. They wondered why he was so fat. And just before they went onto the pitch, for the decisive match of the season, Shankly said this. If you're first, you're first. And if you're second, you're nothing. That was his attitude. Hunger. Determination. Desperation. And that really rather average coach with what was a, a reasonably average team became a world beater because of hunger. Now, says Paul, that, that's what true elite athletics is all about. And true elite Christians are Christians with real hunger. We haven't got there yet, but our determination is that we must get there. And two things we do. First of all, in verse 13, we forget what's behind. One of the, the races that I love is 100 meters. And, and, and the reason why I love 100 meters, look at that face for a second. You all know who that is. But actually, it's irrelevant which 100 meter racer it is. It's irrelevant. That, that happens to Olympic Christie. It really doesn't matter who it is. They all have the same thing in mind. We look at the line. We have under 10 seconds to get there. There are other elite athletes either side of us. I must be there, so I, I can't look up at the stands to see if my, my granny's sitting up there watching. I can't look behind to see where I left my kit and my bag. Nothing else right now matters to me apart from right across there. A hundred meters from this spot, there's a, a bit of ribbon. And my chest must touch that first. Forget what's behind it, Paul. Don't get distracted. If, if your goal really is Jesus, then keep your eyes focused on Him. And the past has to be forgotten about. It's irrelevant. Whatever the past might be. Maybe it's successes. You look back over your Christian life and you see lots of occasions when you served God, you honoured Him, you did things that were good, and you experienced and felt the pleasure of God. Yeah, that's the past. You're only ever as good as you are today. How you might have lived your life in the past is not relevant at this moment. What is relevant is, is right now. What is my heart like? Because the truth is we can be up and down. One day we can be on fire for God, the next day we can be down in the doldrums. I was losing a friend of mine fairly recently who was one of the most on-fire Christians that I, I used to know. A lovely guy who was utterly committed to following Jesus. And then sin crept in. Adultery in his particular case. His whole family blew apart because of it, but his whole Christian life is now in absolute shatters. And he kept on reflecting back to the past, and I said, oh, that's your whole problem. It's not about what your heart used to be like. It's what is your heart like right now. So be honest. Where am I today with Jesus Christ? Where does he fit into my life right now? And not just the success of the past, but what about our failures? Because often Christians get discouraged because 
they've made mistakes. We all do. We're fallible. We're human. We've blown it time and time again. But in a various sense, that doesn't matter either. It's where does Christ fit in right now? I have another friend of mine who became a Christian when he was very young and then in his late teens he fell away. And for over 40 years never went to church. And suddenly he decided that he had wasted his life and life was so empty and devoid of meaning because he wasn't walking with Jesus Christ. And so he came back. And today he serves Christ with an absolute passion. And you can see the joy and the excitement in his face. Even when he begins talking about his face, his his smile just lights up. And he's had 40 years of disaster, but that doesn't really matter at the moment. That's irrelevant. The fact is, when he woke up this morning, the first thing he did was to pray and to thank God for his salvation and to rejoice and to worship God. And that's what he does every day. The past is forgotten. Today he's determined to follow Jesus, to to, to focus his life on him. Forget the past. And secondly, he's going to verse 14, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards that goal, says Paul. I came back from my uh, hill run yesterday, and I'm sure some of you do very uh, uh, vigorous exercise. You know what it feels like? Your muscles are aching. I play football on a Wednesday night with a group of young guys. They're all brilliant footballers. I'm the weak link in the team. And I get up on a Thursday morning and, and I ache. And sometimes, I, I, I literally start getting out of bed. I have to grab onto the, the, the headboard and pull myself up because every muscle is in agony. Because with all of my energy, I've pushed myself in that pitch. I broke my foot this week. And I just played on uh, with a broken bone in my foot. You just want to keep straining. Now that, that energy, says Paul, that should be your Christian life. All of your focus. With all the energy you can muster. And we must be like this because there are so many obstacles. Think about our secular culture. How encouraging is your workplace if you're a Christian? The answer is not at all. Deeply discouraging. And maybe some members of your family would hold you back or your friends and neighbors. There's there's such peer pressure in this secular culture of ours to squeeze out any kind of um, spiritual fervor that we have. There's a deadening impact living in our secular culture. It's it's post-Christian. So we've got to work all the harder. Be all the more determined to follow Jesus. And then there are those temptations to say the wrong thing. I face it every day. I've got three kids. And those of you who are parents will know how excruciating that can be sometimes when you just need to bite your tongue before you say something that you know would be wrong and displeasing to God. Think about all those other frustrating situations in life. Or doing the wrong thing or having the wrong motive. There's temptations there all the time. Uh, and the devil would take those temptations and try to use them to trip us up and to get us to fall. He is always against us. And then there's the, 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 uh, the fallible weakness of our own human temperaments. We are not supermen. 
We are ordinary, fallen human beings. All of our hang-ups and our struggles and our difficulties. Trying to live for Jesus. If you're not determined, says Paul, you'll never succeed. So strain with all of your effort. And look at verse 15. And all who are mature should take this view of things. Now, I find that the most remarkable verse in this whole passage because Paul is not talking here about being some kind of a spiritual superstar. That determination, that focus, that single-mindedness, that that energy, that, that, that straining to live for Jesus with all of my heart, that should be normal Christian living. So, if you do become that kind of a Christian, it's not that you're some kind of a Christian superstar. It's that you're just doing what God expects of you. And if you're not doing that, then falling short. Then he finishes off in verse 16. And let us live up to what we've already attained. I was in um, Gatwick Airport uh, a few months ago and uh, my family were with me. We were flying out to Spain. And uh, my kids are uh, full of fun and love to do all kinds of irresponsible stuff. A bit like their dad really. And in Gatwick, there's this massive escalator, one going up and, and the other, the parallel one coming down. And my middle child, my daughter, um, went up the one that was coming down just to see if she could get all the way up. It must have been 30 meters long. There's a massive escalator. Get all the way up there while it was coming down. She didn't quite make it. She made it about halfway, maybe a wee bit more than halfway. And I could see her beginning to tire and puff and pant and her breathing was laboured. And then she gave up and she began to slowly go all the way down to the bottom again. All that effort and she got nowhere. That's what Paul is talking about here. We do not live in a neutral universe. Because of all these forces that are pitted against us, living the Christian life is a little bit like climbing the wrong way up an escalator that's coming down the way. Standing still is not an option. It's not that you'll get nowhere standing still, you'll actually go back the way. With all that's against us, we have to run hugely energetically. Now all of us as Christians have made progress. We have got somewhere in our Christian lives. We've begun the journey following Jesus. We've we've begun to read our Bibles, to pray, to to focus on Him, to be involved in church life, be involved in ministry. We've we've all done that. Escalator's coming down all the way. All the way. And we need to keep pushing. Don't lose your gains, says Paul. Don't become complacent because the worst thing you can do is just take your focus off being like Jesus very worst because whatever you've achieved as a Christian stand still and you begin to recede you'll you'll lose all those gains that you've made so that's a challenge to us with all that passion all that emotion let us in, in, in a Christian sense be those elite athletes who dedicate our lives to following Jesus Remember Shankly's words, if you're first, you're first. If you're second, you're nothing. Spiritually, that's true. 
we either follow Jesus, join Him in suffering, experience that resurrected life, or we're nowhere. And that's the challenge that Paul leaves with us. Let's determine today that as we follow Jesus, we will focus our mind and our hearts on Him. He will be the center of everything. And we will serve Him with all of our energy, with all of our might, straining towards that goal. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for the challenge of this passage. Help us to remember these really serious words of Paul. It is such a huge challenge. It is so demanding. It is so difficult. And we know that from our own personal experience. And yet this is the challenge you lay before us. To follow Jesus. Become like Him. Following Him through suffering. And to somehow to attain that resurrection life that will go on forever. May we today be people who are utterly committed to Jesus. And if there's someone here this morning who hasn't yet become a Christian, hasn't even begun this journey, help them to make that first step, trusting in Him and receiving the life He offers in Jesus' name. Amen.